Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all. I trust you had a good Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving day, maybe with some family and friends. I want to tell you about a unique experience that I had on Thanksgiving day just this past week. So in the afternoon, uh, we were at home and we were getting ready to partake of my wife's wonderful, awesome cooking. And we got a ring on the doorbell and so went to the front door and it was a neighborhood friend who had just stopped by and he just wanted to stop by for a few minutes to say happy Thanksgiving. And so while we were talking, I said to him, hey, uh, what are you doing the rest of the afternoon? And he got this huge smile on his face and he said, I'm going to Waffle House and I'm going to buy a cup of coffee and then I'm going to leave a really big tip for the waitress. I mean, you should have seen him. He was giddy nearly with excitement about this blessing that he was going to give to someone who could probably really use it, especially at this time of year. And so that experience there on Thanksgiving afternoon reminded me of what the Apostle Paul said, quoting Jesus in Acts 20 verse 35, when he said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So I have a question for you today as I introduce the theme for today, which is giving. Have you ever experienced the pure joy of giving your money to someone who has a need? I mean, just like my friend there in the lobby of our home, the entryway of our home, he was just so excited to go and do that. Have you experienced that type of joy of giving to a person who is in need? Now, in my years on this earth, I have noticed a few attitudes toward giving, uh, and they're varied from place to place. Some uh, Christians have these attitudes, some uh, non-Christians have these attitudes, but as we think about giving, I just want to outline a few of them. First of all, I think there's the unaware spender, and I think some Christians are like this. You know, maybe they're newer to the faith, or maybe someone hasn't discipled them and what it looks like to give of their resources to the Lord's work. And so they say something like, I didn't know I was supposed to give. Uh, what am I supposed to do? How do I do that? And so then you can take them through, you know, here's what the scripture says, and here's how you could order your own financial world in order to, uh, to meet this discipline that Christ asks of us, these acts of worship. A second attitude is what I would label the greedy idolater. And you've probably heard this attitude from people. Listen, I earn this money. I'm keeping it. If someone else wants money, they can work just as hard as I do for it. There's that attitude out there also. A third attitude, and I think this attitude exists uh, in, in great um, abundance in our church, it's the generous giver. The generous giver says, God has blessed me with more than what I need, and so I want to be a blessing to other people. That type of attitude exists in abundance here in our church. I'm so thankful to be able to say that. And then the last category I want to outline today is the attention-seeking show-off. That's the person who sort of comes up beside you and says, you know, I'm the one who gave the anonymous donation to the city mission last week that was mentioned in the paper. That was me. It's the person who wants the attention for their acts of worship to God or for their benevolence to others. So 
That's the type of attitude, that last one specifically, that Jesus is really going after in our scripture for today. So Jesus is going to answer for us, how do you move from someone who seeks personal attention for your giving to one who simply gives out of a sincerity of heart, with humility, and truly as an act of worship to God, whom they adore. So our scripture today is Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. I love it uh, here at our church when God's people are able to stand and read scripture together. So if you're willing and able to do that, would you stand along with me? And we're going to read the scripture in unison, nice and loud, as we prepare to learn together. So let's read together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God, please teach us today through your word, and help us to be people who have hearts that are motivated to give because you have given your very Son, and I pray it in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, today... As uh, we walk through Jesus' instructions about giving, I have organized the message under two particular banners. The first one is we're going to talk about the heart of giving, where we're going to unpack the passage here of what Jesus says. And the second banner is the habit of giving, where we'll talk about some specific application for us and then information that is particular to our church here at Living Hope. All right, so let's begin with the first uh, instruction, this first banner. The heart of giving is this, we're to worship God with our giving, not to seek worship of self. You probably have noticed this, but in verse 1, verse 1 serves as an overarching command which governs the remainder, nearly the remainder of chapter 6. Jesus is going to unpack three expected religious acts or acts of devotion, acts of worship to God, giving, prayer, and fasting. We'll get to prayer and fasting in the months ahead. But Jesus is giving this command to govern our acts of worship, our acts of righteousness. And so he begins with this warning. Uh, Some of your Bibles say beware. Some of your Bibles say be careful. Uh, You could translate that word as this, be continually on guard against doing your acts of righteousness before men in order to be noticed by them. So Jesus is really going towards the heart of the intention and the motive of what's inside of us. Why do we give? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Is it really for God? Or is it really just a backdoor way of getting praise for ourselves? And so church, there's a warning here right off the bat. And I think the reason that Jesus gives us this warning is because our hearts are so deceitful. He talks about that in Matthew chapter 15, about out of the heart comes all of these different things. And we as human beings have a great way of taking a really good thing and twisting it so that we get the glory out of it 
which then makes it a bad thing. Our hearts are so deceitful. It's hard, we can't understand what's in the heart, the prophet Jeremiah says. And so we, as believers, need to allow the Holy Spirit to have a search warrant for our heart that we would allow him to come in and examine our hearts. Why am I giving? Why am I singing? Why am I here? Why am I praying? Why am I fasting? Is it so people will see me? Or is it a genuine act of devotion to God because of his greatness? We need to allow the spirit to do that. So Jesus goes on in verse one then to say, if your intention is to be noticed by people, then you have no reward with your heavenly father. The momentary applause and attention of people is our full reward when that is our intention. That's what he says in verse 2. Robert mounts in his commentary, uh, commenting on that particular word in verse 2 that says you received your reward in full, um, says this. It's a Greek word which was a technical commercial term that was often used in the sense of payment in full, complete with a receipt, meaning if your intention is just to receive praise from people for what a great, you know, how devoted you are to God, oh, you're such a giving person, you should expect no more payment than the one that you just got. You're not gonna get anything from God because your intention was to impress people, you got what you wanted, and you won't get anything from God. So if this is our intention, we forfeit God's future reward in order to receive the instant delight of man's praise. And that's what Jesus is warning us against in terms of the heart motivation for giving. So then he goes on to give us two simple instructions about our giving. He first of all says, don't give loudly and proudly. The heart of our giving is not to be noticed by people. He then um, delineates or outlines here three wrong motives. At the end of verse one, he says, don't give to be noticed by people. John MacArthur notes that this word, which is translated as to be noticed by people, is related to the term from which we get our English word, theater. It has in mind a spectacle to be gazed at or to show off. Um, We might use the term showboating, right? Where you're just really trying to get everybody's attention put on you. And Jesus attacks the scribes and the Pharisees and says, this is what they do. Matthew 23, verse five. The scribes and Pharisees do all their deeds to be noticed by men. And so Jesus attacks that type of wrong motive Forgiving. He secondly then goes in verse 2 to say, don't give to draw attention to yourself. And he uses the word hypocrite. Hypocrite is a Greek term which means to be a pretender or an actor. It means to really dramatize the role, to put on a mask and to pretend to be somebody that you're actually not. And so you can imagine someone who, who gives and they really play it up about how benevolent they are, how good they are to other people. And they really draw all the attention to themselves. And Jesus uses the illustration of do not sound a trumpet before you. Now, if someone were to get up on stage and to blow their trumpet, it would get all of our attention, right? We'd be like, what was that noise? And you, you draw your attention right to that noise. And so Jesus is using this as a metaphor to say, let's not be drawing attention to ourselves or don't be drawing attention to yourself in your giving. In our way of saying it, we would say, don't 
toot your own horn, right? Don't be the person who's all about themselves and advertising themselves. So don't give to be noticed by people. Don't give to draw attention to yourself. And thirdly, don't give to be honored or glorified by people. This is the middle of verse 2. Now, while I believe because of the condition of the human heart, we are sinful in need of God's grace, we twist nearly everything towards our own uh, wants and desires, I believe this is a danger in every single society, in every single generation, but in our particular generation, this is, I think, is an even elevated danger to do what Jesus is telling us not to do, and here's why. We are a selfie generation, which is so social media driven and focused. Think of it. You could do an act of, uh, of good. You could give someone a gift. You could give, as Jesus says to here, here today, and within a matter of seconds, you could have that picture posted. And you could begin to gather likes and thumbs ups and hearts and comments and all these different things. And it would really make you feel good about your act of devotion to God, which has just turned into an act of devotion to yourself. It's a danger that we have to watch out for. That's why Jesus warns us. So I think here's an important heart level question for us to answer in our acts of worship, in our acts of giving. Would we give a donation, an offering, or would we serve another person if we knew that going there, there would be no camera present? Or there would be no plans for a social media public relations fanfare to go along with this. If in your heart of hearts you would say, no, I would not be giving in that circumstance or I would not show up, then you are the hypocrite that Jesus is talking about here. You are doing these acts of worship for yourself. You're worshiping yourself. But if we are the type of person who would say, you know what, I would actually prefer if there's no camera there. <laughs> I would actually prefer if no one even saw it. Then we are on the track towards what Jesus is talking about and commending for us to do, to give in secret, to give quietly. And so this first particular instruction about not giving loudly and proudly, Jesus is rooting out our arrogant motives for giving. He attacks our drift toward self-worship where acts of charity really aren't about the other person or about blessing God. It's really a back doorway to manipulate the situation so that we get people to adore us instead of offering a sincere giving or a sincere gift as an act of worship to God and as an act of compassion to the person who's in need. And so Jesus is warning us right away, watch out for that because it's so easy to become like the Pharisees. So the first instruction is don't give loudly and proudly. The second instruction is to give quietly and humbly. Give quietly and humbly. This is now verses three and four. Jesus says, but when you give to the poor, or when you give a charitable gift to those in need. And so the when there means this is expected. This is what people who follow Jesus do. As he was one who blessed the poor and needy, and watched out for the blind and the lame. So his followers are to be like him and we're to be people who bless others who have need. This is both taught in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Let me show you. 
This week I was reading along, uh, I've been reading through Deuteronomy in my own uh, Bible reading, and I ran across Deuteronomy 15, which is God's good timing because it goes right along with my sermon. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. That gives us a great picture of what to do, right? So I want everybody to take out their hands and, well, you're already out, but um, put up their hands and give two fists, okay? All right, now everybody do this. Play along with the preacher. Otherwise, it doesn't make me feel very good, okay? This is what we're not to do. Not to be closed-fisted. All right, let's open our hands. We're to be open-handed so that what God gives to us then flows through us to others. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. It's also just a test to see if you're following along. So we're to be open-handed people. Think of how much we've received. But if we hoard and we take in, then we don't truly understand the grace of God, that he wants his grace to flow through us to other people. There's also a wonderful example of a woman in the New Testament. Her name is Tabitha. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. She's one of my Bible heroes because she's so quiet in her devotion to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. And if you go on to read the passage, it talks about how she would make all these different garments for the poor and for the needy. This is the type of person that you probably know in your life. The type of person who's always looking out for the needs of others, always looking to bless other people. They see a need and they're like quietly meeting that need and giving it. I love Tabitha's example, but that's what we're called to, to be people who give quietly and to who give humbly. So verse three then goes on. Jesus gives us another command. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a command. Again, it's a metaphor. Just like the metaphor earlier was don't blow your trumpets so that people recognize your giving. This is another metaphor, not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It underscores that we're to have the right heart motive when we give. Dr. D.A. Carson writes this. He says, recognizing our sinful tendency to seek self-worship, it is advisable to not even let yourself know what you are doing. I love that. Now, obviously, we do know what we're doing because we have a will. We make decisions. We analyze data and we make a decision based on that. But the whole point here is let's not be people who are announcing our giving so that we get the glory of others. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give. Meaning, just, just keep it quiet. Just do it out of sincerity and simplicity. Now, does that mean that we have to do top secret giving? I mean, hey, Pastor Blair, I, I brought my gift today that I'd like to, to put in the offering box, but there's people around. So... Do I have to come back at one o'clock this afternoon when no one else is around and slip my gift into the box and really hope that no one saw my car in the parking lot? Because what if they asked me if I was giving? I can't say that I was because that would ruin it. Well, no. Let me give you an example. You probably remember this account in the Bible where Jesus was in the temple with his disciples and there was a poor widow who came to give her offering to the treasury, which many other people were doing at that time. So you can imagine the temple was all abuzz with people and people were bringing up their gifts. But Jesus, from a distance, notices this poor widow. And she puts in two small copper coins, 
which amounted to like two cents. Other people were putting in very large gifts, which probably made a big thump in the bottom of the treasury, whereas hers made very little noise. And Jesus uses her as an example and says to the disciples, look, this poor widow put in more than the others because she gave all that she had to live on. Out of her poverty, she gave. Now, in that moment, did Jesus then ruin her reward in heaven? Because, I mean, he pointed her out to the disciples and millions of people have read Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, and now he stole her reward. No, no. Because she gave out the sincerity of her heart. Who knows? She probably didn't even know that the Lord was there pointing her out for the millions of people to come in, uh, throughout time. She gave quietly, humbly, out of a sincere heart and with sacrificial giving to the Lord, which was in contrast to the Pharisees who did everything so that everyone would notice how religious they are. She did the opposite, quietly in and quietly out. She's a beautiful example of devoted worship. So why are we to give quietly? Well, verse four goes on to say that God sees in secret. Our God is an omniscient God. He has comprehensive knowledge of everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees. And because he's omnipotent, he will reward those, all powerful, he, who, who will reward those who give with this type of attitude that he is speaking of today. So what is this reward that we will get? Well, the real answer is, we'll find out when we get there, but there's some very heavy inferences in the Bible. I'll start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and verse 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The people who have the type of attitude of faith-filled, humble attitude that trust Jesus as their Savior, those are the ones who will receive um, the kingdom of heaven. And then chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. The word pure in heart means to have a singular devotion to God, which would show itself in things like giving and, and praying and fasting. These are the ones who've come to Christ and have a soul devotion to him. They will see God. And so certainly our salvation, forgiveness, being in the presence of God is the reward. But I also think that there are particular individual rewards because God is omniscient, because he's omnipotent, that he has planned for each believer. And I base that on 1 Corinthians 3.14, where it says, in the evaluative judgment of all believers, um, our works will be tested by fire. And our, those which are wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up, but those things which were done for the glory of God will endure, will be saved, and will have this reward. 1 Corinthians 3.14, he will receive a reward. And so I think God has individual rewards planned because he repeats the same thing later on in chapter six, two times regarding prayer and regarding fasting. Um, I guess the bottom line there is God's got great things in store for, for us as we serve him with sincerity of heart. So to sum up this section, we're to give quietly, we're to give humbly to those in need as an act of worship to God, not as a backdoor way of receiving worship for ourselves. So that's the heart of giving, so important, such an important foundation as we think about being devoted to God with our worship. The second banner now is the habit of giving. 
And I labeled this as kingdom generosity. The reason that we give is because God is a giving God. Our God is such a gracious, over-the-top, generous God. Think of how the gospel message and the gospel person, Jesus, motivates all of giving in our lives, whether it's giving our life over, our time, or our uh, resources. 2 Corinthians 8 9 is so important in the context of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Think of our generosity of our God. He gave his one and only son to meet our need of being separated from God for all of eternity because of our sin. Jesus was sent to step in our place to take the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, against our sins so that we could be set free and gathered together in a place like this to worship his name. Our God is so generous. And think about Jesus. He gave up his riches in heaven and he came here which is nowhere near heaven. And he took on himself poverty so that we could become rich in God through salvation. Isn't that a glorious motivation for giving? Amen? The gospel motivates how we give. And if God has given me that much, which is incomprehensible, wow, I can meet your need because he's been so generous to me I want to be generous to you. I don't need this thing for myself. I don't have to be tight-fisted. I can give because the God who gave me salvation will give me more to meet other people's needs. That's the type of attitude that we're to have in our giving. So this isn't about religious duty. Oh, I got to give now. I got to write the check or enter in the electronic payment here to give towards God's work. Oh, man. No, it's like, when can I give? When can I give? Because God gave so much to me, I want to bless other people. This leads us to give to those who have physical and spiritual needs because of God's gracious gifts. So as we consider the habit of giving, I want to go back again and ask these two questions. What is your heart motive? So when we give, what is our heart motive? Is it to be noticed by people? Or is it to be seen by God in secret? Is it to be rewarded by people? Or is it to be rewarded by God at his time with him in heaven? It's called delayed gratification. And then is my motive to achieve salvation through an act of religion, of giving, char giving to charity? No, 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 no. We are saved by God's grace through faith, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. It's about God. It's not about you. Or are we giving because we've received this gracious salvation in Christ? That's a whole other motivation. So, talking about the heart motive is the most important place to start. Now, let's move on to more, some more specific instructions as we think about giving. Do you have a developed habit where you are giving your resources to God's work? And you don't have to be older and have a job to start doing this. If you earn some things around the house, maybe, as you, if you're a child or a teenager or whatever, you have a small paycheck coming in, you don't have to wait until you get a lot of money, quote unquote, whatever that means, uh, to start giving. In fact, if you wait until you reach a certain level of income to start giving and you don't give now, 
you're probably not going to give then. You got to start small and make the habit in the development of the discipline then. The scripture, I think, talks about systematic giving and spontaneous giving. Systematic giving, first of all, just means planned giving, a, um, um, a discipline of giving. Paul writes to the Corinthians on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. He was taking up an offering to bless the poor saints back in Jerusalem. And so he was giving instructions to the church at Corinth saying, every week, you know, I'm going to be here on such and such a date. I'm making this part up. But let's say I'm here in, in, in eight, eight weeks. So put aside a little each week. And then when I get there, I'll take the offering with me on my way to Jerusalem. So systematic, planned, uh, intentional giving. And then the Bible also talks about spontaneous giving. Acts chapter 2 is an example. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And so that seems to be more spontaneous. You know, needs arrived, the, the new church had started, the new community that the Holy Spirit came and pulled together, and they were like, hey, Pete has needs. And so people began to think, what can I sell in order to take those proceeds and either give it to Pete directly or give it to the church leaders so that Pete's um, need could be met. That's spontaneous um, giving. Now, you can also do something more. You can plan spontaneous giving. That's right. I think I contradicted myself last week, so I'm just keeping it up. Um, planning your spontaneous giving, meaning have a little bit of room in your budget so that if you see a need, you can just meet it. You don't have to go through a big process in order to meet someone's immediate need. If the Lord moves in your heart, then you can move at that particular time. Do you remember when you first learned to give? I remember I was uh, 22 years old. I had been a Christian for three years. I was doing a sports camp uh, uh, internship. I was leading sports camps for kids at a church close to where I grew up. And the youth pastor who oversaw all of us as interns taught us to give. He taught us what to do. You know, set aside a certain percentage of your, your um, income and give that to the Lord's work. And so that's the first time I really took it to heart and began to make a plan with my giving. And again, you start small with your little checks that you're getting as an intern, and then that carries on into the future. And so that's what I did as an engaged person. And then when Gene and I got married, we took both of our desires to want to give to the Lord, and we continued that uh, process of planned uh, giving in our marriage. We've been married for 22 years. It's been a blessing that we've been able to, first of all, be married for 22 years because she's awesome, but then also to continue to give over time and we communicate about those things. And so having a developed habit of giving in response to the Lord is so important. All right, I want to talk now about some specific things for Living Hope Church and giving here. Now, I have, uh, by God's grace, I've been here for 12 years. I'm in my 13th year. And this is my fifth sermon in 12 full years on giving, which is not very many. Why have I not spoken on giving more? Well, I haven't needed to. This church is such a generous church. The discipline of giving already, um, the act of worship of giving already exists that I've not needed to do to resort to, you know, arm twisting and, and guilt, which some people's stereotypes come across, which I'm not doing, by the way. But God has so very much blessed this church with 
people who get what it looks like to give with simplicity and sincerity. Here's an example. So during the the 13 weeks that we were shut down during COVID from March to May, uh, on that first week and throughout the whole time, just like across all society, our systems were stress tested during uh, COVID. Like what's going to happen? So with giving, I was thinking, oh my, what is going to happen with giving? People aren't gathering in the building. Well, looking back, I have to say, oh me of little faith. The Lord provided, and the Lord provided through you. I have here what I call my folder of God's faithfulness. And what began to happen is people began to adjust their giving. We weren't meeting in person, so people began to send it in through the mail. And when people sent in their gifts through the mail, they sent in little notes and little cards that just said, thank you so much for doing online services. Thank you so much. We're praying for the church. We're praying for what God is doing. And so all these notes and cards came in when people sent in their gifts. And I praise God for this evidence of his faithfulness to supply for our church. And so because the church continued to their faithful giving, we were able to meet all of our obligations to staff, to missionaries, uh, to ministries. We didn't miss a beat. And I praise God for his faithfulness during that time. We were able to give to ministries like City Mission and Christian Clearinghouse and our Benevolence Fund to meet needs, just as Jesus says here, about giving to those in need. So when you invest in the ministry of Living Hope Church, what are you investing in? Well, when you give to God through our ministry, you're investing in a Bible-teaching, gospel-preaching, discipleship-focused, and mission-minded church. Here's a great uh, financial statistic. Those of you who are into finances, I think you'll find this interesting. 84% of our budget goes to individuals who are directly or indirectly spreading the gospel as their primary vocation. That includes our staff, support staff. It also includes our missionaries, uh, no matter what their role is on the field. That's locally, nationally, and globally. And so when you give, you truly are investing in God's work. So those of us who are members, I want to remind us of our commitments that we made when we became a member of this church. Uh, One of those um, commitments is this, that you will support the testimony of our church. You can go on to the next slide by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, by giving regularly, and by doing everything in your power to make Living Hope Church an effective ministry for God. If you're newer to the church and we have all kinds of new people, which we're so excited about, I want to invite you to begin to give towards God's work, not because I said so, but because God is inviting you to join his work. You can give physically through our Offering boxes in the back, as well as electronically through all different means, our app, online, or just bill pay through your bank, and that is between you and the Lord. A couple of updates here by way of of giving opportunities, as people are giving, obviously, to the general fund of the church, but we also have opportunities to give above and beyond uh, your regular giving, and that takes place within our family of churches. Uh, An update on Lighthouse. We talked a lot about the Lighthouse Capital Campaign back in the spring and early summer. And out of the $5 million total need for the entire project, uh, which includes the purchase of the land, which has already happened, about $3.6 million has already been committed. 
That is through the aggressive um, saving of Lighthouse. That's through the um, three-year pledges that many from Lighthouse and Living Hope have given, um, as well as the land that's already been purchased. And so, uh, praise God, they're well on their way uh, towards reaching that goal, and they hope to break ground in the spring of 2024 as God provides in the months ahead. Also exciting news in Bluffton. Bluffton community was able to purchase the building that they were living in, which is living in, (laughs) meeting in. Now they can live it if they want because they're not renting it. Um, The center on the north end of Bluffton, and they uh, will be closing on that building in December. And so praise God, with the regular giving of that local congregation, they're able to pay their monthly uh, mortgage payments, which is exciting. Uh, but there is an opportunity among the family of churches if you'd like to give a donation to help pay down that principle. That's an opportunity also. Lastly, a little teaser. We will be uh, giving information on the Christmas giving project next Sunday. And so you'll find out how we have the opportunity to bless a local ministry which is making a big impact. All right, lots of information today, but here's the point. Christ is calling us to give quietly, to give humbly to his work as an act of worship to God for his grace that was given to us. So let's stand together and I'll pray as we prepare to sing along with our worship teams. God, thank you so much for your very clear instruction. Lord, these are very simple, easy to understand instructions. And so I pray that you would make us into people who can develop by the work of your spirit an even greater heart for generous giving, which is truly just an offering to you and would not be tainted in any way by your grace of seeking glory for ourselves. God, I thank you for our generous church family, but I pray that you would make us even more generous to meet needs around us in our friend, among our friends, family, neighborhood, community, or wherever, and even through the ministry of our church. And so I praise your name Thank you for our chance to worship you today in Christ's name, amen.